Thanks for that. Good morning. Uh, as Tom said, if we haven't met before, my name's Tim, and we're going to jump back into our series in Luke. Uh, we've been out for about a month looking, enjoying Easter, hearing from Morris a few weeks ago, hearing from Tom last week on how the early church were devoted. And uh, this morning we're going to continue that theme a little bit with looking at two types of devotion, two types of devotion as we jump back into uh, Luke. We, we're just going to touch uh, uh, chapter 21 this morning, and chap- uh, Luke has 24 chapters, so we're getting there, we're getting there. So uh, we've heard from this book for a number of months yet, it's been good for our souls, it's been good for us to learn and understand and uh, as we come to the end of the book, we come to the, the pinnacle uh, of Jesus' ministry, the cross and the resurrection. And we're just in the week before that, really. Just before I start, just want to reflect a little bit on Wednesday. Wednesday evening here, we had a wonderful time, uh, prayer and vision together. We, uh, every now and then, will have prayer meetings together where we also will set uh, and encourage you guys to come along and hear some of the vision and ask God to give us vision uh, as we go forward. We had a wonderful time, particularly one thing we focused on was uh, praying for three deacons uh, that we have appointed, or really, really feel God's appointed among us. That is Esme, my wife, Jan Baker, Rod Bennett, who helped with the pastoral team. We had a wonderful time just affirming them, praying for them. Um, uh, but, all, but to be honest with you, that wasn't my favorite part of the evening. My favorite part of the evening was, was what, what Ian's just spoke to us about. We just gazed on the face of the Lord together. We came and received his love. It's so important that when we come together, we come first and foremost to just receive his goodness to us. And then we respond on the back of that. If you haven't come to prayer meetings before, prayer and vision, I just want to keep urging you, please do push yourself, say, okay, I'll have a look in. Even if it's just the first time, we're just going to try. Because we really will catch the heart of this church. We call that the engine room of the church because we, we come to God in prayer. We do work with God. We hear his heart for us. We had a wonderful time together. There was a particular uh, prophetic song that Mayor Oldfield sang that really uh, just, just was so lovely to hear God's heart. He covers us. He calls us to look forward. Don't look back. Um, he has great things for us. It was a powerful time together. So here we are, we're in chapter 20, uh, coming right towards the end of the chapter. And the context of this chapter, if you remember a few weeks ago when we broke off, was that Jesus is in the, uh, the temple courts. He came in, he arrived in the temple courts, and he was pretty cross with what he found. Because he found that those who were supposed to be uh, lovingly uh, teaching and helping people meet with God were actually letting the, the temple become a marketplace so they could make money. And he was furious, rightly so. No, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is my father's house. And he turned the tables over um, and he, uh, what they say, they, he cleansed the temple. And then throughout the rest of chapter 20, he is, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, it's like, okay, we've had enough now. We've had enough. We, it's either he has to go or we're going to have to go. They felt the threat of this guy. He's totally undermining us. And uh, so they started to scheme, how can we get rid of him? So they started to ask questions to corner him. Uh, he was either going to have to have, a, they, they asked the types of questions that his answer was either going to be, well, that shows that you're against Rome, so now you're in big trouble, or that shows you're a traitor to Israel, so now you're in big trouble. They tried to corner him, but Jesus was much too wise for them. And each time he answered fully in a way that it says that they had to even be quiet. They became silent at his answer. You, we, you may have questions, theological questions. Again and again, you may think, but I need, to, need Jesus to answer this question, this question. Listen, he has the answers. 
He has every single answer. But he knew that wasn't really what was going on. And often we can, have, we can hide behind lots of questions, and Jesus will have the answers. But he wants to deal with what's really going on. What's really going on? What's, the, what's the, this person hiding behind? What's happening here? So today, today we're going to see two types of devotion. We pick it up in chapter 20, verse 45, and then we're going to the first four verses of chapter 21. It says this, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's just pray quickly. Father, we thank you for your presence with us by your Holy Spirit. We pray, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Give us a heart that would be receptive to your love, whether it's the kind of thing we normally want to receive or not. We pray, help us to receive it in faith. Lord, help us to have the strength to walk forward looking at Jesus, knowing that we want to be devoted the way you want us to be devoted. Bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the section we're looking at this morning, Jesus begins with a caution. It's a caution. Beware. Be careful. Be on your guard. Watch out. Because there were people that were bestowed with authority. People that were given positions of authority. And they were people who completely lacked integrity. They'd been given this position that they would teach and that they would serve God, that they would relay his word faithfully, that they would be people that would behave um, uh, um, with honor, that they would have a reverence for his word. But in fact, what they had done had, had been putting their, themselves on a the throne. They had been, they placed their own uh, um, position as the most important things to themselves. Those in leadership are appointed to teach and govern. But James says later on in his letter, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that they who teach will be judged more strictly. It's a position that we want to hold very carefully, teaching the word of God. Because it's a, it's a thing we hold with reverence. We want to make sure we don't add to this. We don't twist it, we don't manipulate it, we don't use it to our advantage, but that there's a faithfulness in interpreting and teaching the Word of God. It is a fearful role. It comes with power to speak into people's lives with authority. We're aware of that on Sundays. When we speak to you, we're aware that our words will have, uh, we hope, will play a part in how you filter things. How you think, how you reflect on life, how you make decisions. That gives us power, that gives us authority. It gives potential power to mislead, doesn't it? To misfeed. It could, it could give us an opportunity to, whether on purpose or not, whether it's through cowardice or through horrible manipulation, to lead people to destruction, to fear, to 
for us to take advantage of the position. And Jesus says that's exactly what these men have done. These men are in it for themselves. Let's have a look at some of the things he says. They desire lofty positions. That's what their desire is all about. It's not desiring to honor God. It's not desiring to hold on to his word with reverence. No, they desire their position, their lofty position. They have ostentatious and ornate robes. They have these special robes with tassels on the end to mark them out from everyone else. No, we are special. We're a cut above. And Jesus says in the word, he's clothed us in righteousness. What other robe do we need? Why do we need to mark ourselves out when God's clothed us with righteousness? These men, no, no, we need to be set apart. We need to be set apart from others. We need people to know that we are special. It still goes on, doesn't it? Insecurity breeds competitive attitudes to things. But Jesus says in Matthew, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. They love their greetings and honor they receive. There was a, a, a custom in the marketplace that uh, when a scribe entered in, people would stand to their feet. They loved, they loved the greetings they got. They loved that they were seen of as special. They take the best seats, Jesus says. What does that mean? Well, it means that other people don't get the best seats. They put themselves in seats of honor and others would sit on the floor. They, they have the best seats at the feasts. They get the best food. And horrendously, they devour widows' houses. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, in the Bible, we see a particular concern for widows. Widows being vulnerable, dependent on others, therefore easily exploited. Widows are still taken advantage of by financial schemers today. The scribes would basically use their position to extort money from these women. It's dreadful. It's completely dreadful. With no integrity, utter manipulation, they're supposed to be men who care for and share God's heart with the people. And then finally, Jesus says, they disguise their hypocrisy with long prayers. So we want everyone to know we are the spiritual ones. Listen to us. We are very spiritual. You wouldn't understand. Listen to my great prayers. And it's all a pretense. It's all a show, no integrity, but rather they'd sold their soul, as it were, for their positions. They'd sold their soul to keep a lofty position. They weren't trusting in the eternal. They were trusting in the transient, in what was going to go. But they were putting their hope in something that wasn't going to last, their position. And they were willing to, 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 to sin to keep hold of this thing that they thought, if we don't have this position, then we're nothing. We haven't got anything left. We must hold on to this. You know what that's called? That's called idolatry. It doesn't have to be something terrible, but if it's something other than God that is on the throne in your life, then that thing is known as an idol. It's not necessarily something carved out of wood, but it's something in your heart that you feel, if I lose this... I'm not sure who I am or what I am. So therefore, it's a, good actual, uh, it's a good little test for you here. If there's something that you know in your life, I'm willing to sin to keep hold of that. That's an idol. I'd rather sin. I'd rather turn against God than, than let go of that thing. And there are consequences 
because these men are they are devoted we looked at devotion last week they're devoted but they're devoted to themselves so we're looking at these this in contrast to the widow in a moment but these men are devoted to themselves they're devoted to their positions their identity is in their exaltation that they're exalted and the consequences are both terrible for those around them who are manipulated, the widows, those who have to you know, be put in their place, those who are not hearing the word of God taught properly. The consequences are terrible for those around them, but they're also terrible for them. They were building their houses on, st- on sand and a storm was approaching. Jesus says they would receive greater condemnation. They think they're winning. They think they're holding on to something that's giving them life. They think that there's something here that is worth pushing other people down, you know, like treading on others to get to the top of the ladder. They think it's worth it. And little do they know that they're going to receive a greater condemnation. A storm of judgment is approaching them. So they have this attitude of trying to question God, trying to undermine him, trying to anything they can to not have to surrender to him. And as I was thinking about this, I was just thinking, actually, one of the, one of the, the, the great consequences, terrible consequences, that come from, comes from uh, being devoted to yourself, thinking of yourself, must having to look after number one. And I think we're encouraged to do that more and more, aren't we, in our society today? Look after number one. Make sure you're okay. Make sure you are on top. Push yourself forwards. We're encouraged to do this. But one of the terrible consequences of this is terrible insecurity. You probably know that yourself. When you're thinking about yourself all the time, and you start to think about yourself in relation to others, how do others think of me? And am I getting what I want? Do I get the respect that I think I should get? And suddenly we're overcome with insecurity. I think we all struggle with insecurity at times. That whole sense of, if I'm not this, I don't know what I am. If I haven't got this, I don't really know what validates me. I don't know where my value is. As I said, I'd rather sin than lose this. They would rather kill than lose this. They would rather kill than lose their position. And perhaps for some of us, another sort of diagnostic tool, if you know, I think I'd rather die than lose my money. You know, when the stock stock market's crashed and uh, the great credit crunch, how many wealthy people committed suicide as they realized, if I haven't got that, that's everything to me. There may be things in your life you think, I'd rather die than lose that. There are terrible consequences, and insecurity can be one of them. And this last year, we found that many things we thought we could put our security in, they just don't work, haven't we? We've seen lots of our security torn away from us, ripped away from us. Rhythms of life have been thrown off. Simple comforts and structures that gave us a sense of security, they've been rocked. And some of us have found ourselves feeling very insecure, Where can I put a firm foot forward and trust that the ground underneath me will hold me? Where can I step forward and make a plan without thinking, no, got to retract. Not allowed to do that. Not sure of what 
I can say, not sure of what side I should stand on with this, all the division that's in the world over the last year, so many very uh, global arguments going on. I'm not quite sure where I stand. Where is my security? And we have to admit that we're at the mercy of things that are beyond our control. We're at the mercy of things that are beyond our control. And the very thing that the scribes are so threatened by, that makes them feel so insecure, that they are rejecting, is the one thing that the widow puts her hope in and gives her a very different story. The contrast is that the widow is not fearful of God, but she's putting her hope in God. The treasury of the temple had 13 receptacles around it for donations to be made. That, uh, these donations that were used in the temple, things like oil for the lamps, uh, things like um, garments for uh, sacrificial priests, things like wine for sacrifice, uh, and finances given for different things used in the temple. Jesus saw how people were putting their donations into the treasury. He saw how the rich people were putting their gifts in. And we hear this description now of the most famous gift that any human being has ever given. The most famous donation, I should say, that any human being has ever given through all history. More famous than any donations that Bill Gates has given. Hundreds of millions of pounds. J.K. Rowling, do you know that she's the first billionaire ever to give so much that she wasn't a billionaire anymore? It's wonderful. This is more famous than those. The most famous offering that was ever given. In contrast to how the scribes wanted to be seen by everyone, that was the whole point of their show and pretense. They wanted people to think of them spiritual and high and exalted. The last thing this woman wanted was to be seen. The last thing she wanted was to be seen. She probably didn't want anyone to see her tiny, embarrassing donation. She didn't want to be noticed. She brought two coppers. Is it a pittance? Why so little? Why, why barely anything? Well, we know why, because it's all she had. It's all she had. The rich what were, were giving what was to spare, she had nothing to spare. What she had, she gave. Sacrificial giving is her worship. It's not just a donation. It's not just a coin. It's not just paying due diligence to, I'm supposed to do this. But it is worship. Most people who were giving weren't sacrificing anything particularly. They didn't really cost them much what they were giving. Jesus saw what was going on. He said the widow gave more than the rich people. I can imagine the, uh, the disciples, as, as he said, look, look, come, 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 look, look, look at this gift. Imagine them looking, going, what, behind the widow? What, what are you looking at? No, the widow. Jesus, you're not wearing your glasses. She's, she's just given like two coppers. What are you talking about? No, he's delighted in what she's given. It's everything. She She'd barely given anything compared to the rich people. But this is how we learn about God's economy. Think about it. The widow's probably nervously approached the treasury, hoping nobody saw her gift, hoping nobody saw her, perhaps. 
But there was one watching her, and the one watching her was the one who created the heavens and the earth. That day in the temple, God incarnate was watching her. God himself in flesh was at the temple that day. And when he saw it, he said to his disciples, come look at this. Look, that's it. That's devotion. That is what it is to be a disciple. That's what it is to love my kingdom. She didn't give out of an overflow, out of excess. She gave out of her poverty. She gave of herself. She gave herself as a living sacrifice. She gave herself as a living sacrifice. She gave her whole livelihood. The scribes were saying, if I don't have this, I've got nothing. She was saying the same thing. But she was prepared to say, I've got nothing. I don't need this. I don't need, my my identity isn't in this thing. I've already got nothing. I want to give everything to, to God. You may be sitting there today thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that. I just can't let go and give everything to God. I, I'm, I just can't. And I sympathize with that. We, we, we think, I can't let go of this. It's what I hold on to. What, what would there be left of me? What would I have? Whatever that thing might be that you think maybe God's speaking to you. Yeah, you need to, you need to let go of having your identity in your job or in finance or maybe even in family. Just You need to stop putting those things on the throne. You might think, I just can't let go of that thing. And I, I would sympathize with that. But the thing you have to think about is the one watching. You've got to think about the one watching, the one looking on in that moment in the temple saying, look, look. Because that one, one week later, would be himself giving everything. Everything smashed to a wooden cross, not holding anything back for your sake. You must come through understanding, uh, when I look at myself, I think, I can't let go. I can't let go. I've got to look after number one. And when I look at him, as we heard in the worship, when we gaze on his face, you think, he gave it all. He gave it all for me. I can give. I can trust him. The one who said, this is my body given for you. He didn't come giving coins, notes, treasures, gold. He came giving himself fully for you. As Paul would later write to the Romans, I read it this morning in my time in the Word this morning. Come read to the end, towards the end of the book of Romans, which he wrote to the Romans to say, this is your salvation in Jesus, explaining how Jesus had given them the, his righteousness, had set them free from condemnation and guilt and shame. They who never uh, um, had d- deserved it, And Paul has been explaining this over and over. At the end of uh, chapter 11, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. That is the foundation. He is so overwhelmingly good to us. And then he says this at the beginning of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. See, there's a therefore I appeal to you, therefore, in light of this, in light of these 12 chap- 11 chapters where Paul has been explaining the generosity and goodness of God, that's how you come through and say, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world 
We've got to, we've got to be those who first see the one that gave it all for us. First, see the one who gave it all for you. And then respond with, I can give. I can let go of what has been on the throne in my life. There's two things I just want to focus on here as we just wrap up. Looking at some application here. Is firstly that her, her offering looks embarrassing to the world's eyes. It's just two coppers. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. It's nothing really. It's a bit like perhaps five loaves and two fishes when 5,000 need to be fed. It's a bit pathetic. It's, it's embarrassing. Or what about the young boy who's, who's not even at the battle, youngest of the tribe, who's come to give his brothers some food, who's now standing before a giant of a warrior, of an enemy, with some stones and a sling. It's pathetic. Embarrassing. Or perhaps like a man with a speech problem standing before Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the known world, having the gumption to say, let my people go. First, Pharaoh says, I don't even know who you are or who your God is. It sounds pathetic. What about Gideon, who had 300 men against 130,000 men? See, this is God's economy that he would say, when you trust me with a little, when you, when you trust me, when you, you might think your offering is pathetic, but when it's entrusted to God, it's powerful. When it's entrusted to God, it's powerful. I'm not even going to convince you, say, your offering's not pathetic. It's wonderful. No, your offering may be pathetic. That's the reality. But in God's economy, he takes what is weak. He's delighted to take what is small. And you may be here today and say, I haven't got much to give. But when you entrust it to him. To be honest, lately I've been feeling a little bit, a bit uh, tired. Oh God, I haven't really got much to give. And my friend helped me so much this week. He sent me these passages from 1 Corinthians 1. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Are you hearing that today as an encouragement? It helped me so much. God chose what is weak. He chose what is foolish. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. You might think, I'm barely anything. I've got nothing to give. I've got no skill. I've got nothing to bring. God chose that. To bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Suddenly you've got a lot. So that it is written, let, no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Acts, in the early part of Acts, uh, James and John, I think, James and John, or Peter and John, were walking along, and, uh, and, the, and somebody who was, was, was crippled called out to them for money. They said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we'll give to you. I don't have much to give, but, but now in Christ I have so much to give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Crossed over from trusting in themselves and thinking, what can I do? Saying, I don't have much, but now in Christ I have so much. 
Jesus loves the widow's offering. He calls the disciples over, come and look at this. Now, you may rubbish your contribution. But Jesus loves when we give what we can. I've heard even recently people, some of you, who have said to me, normally I wouldn't have had the courage to do this, but I've tried it. I've stuck my, my neck out. I, I've, I've, put my, I've got out, gone out on a limb and I've loved it and I've grown. What have you got to give that you might think, well, this is all I've got to give? You might rubbish it quickly, but Jesus will use it and love it. Perhaps it's just encouragement. So many people struggling and just needing encouragement at the moment. Can you just bring encouragement to people? This is an offering to bring. It's not much. Is it really worth it? Does it do anything? Bring what you can. Encouragement, love, friendship. Can you give your time to others who just need to speak, just need to be listened to, just need to bleed and let others care for them? Can you pray for others? Parents, just teach your kids. Just love them. These are small offerings. You might think, does it really change the world? Jesus loves it. In his economy, it is a big offering when we give what we can. In Luke 16, Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He doesn't despise the small things. He trusts you with more if you are trustworthy with a little. And then just finally, coming back to that theme of insecurity, these scribes, these men were insecure. They found, if I don't have this position, I haven't got anything. I don't know who I am. I'm nothing. And they were willing to kill to keep that position. But yet, see, this woman, this widow, she has a strength that they don't know about. She doesn't look strong. She looks vulnerable, but she's got the strength to give everything that she has without reservation. Their strength is a mirage. They've trusted in the transient, the things that are, not of, this, the things that are of this world. She's trusting in the eternal. Perhaps you're someone who knows, I've just been struggling with insecurity, so aware of not, not, not so aware of what other people think of me, not quite confident in where I stand, what my strength is in. Perhaps you're prone to anxiety. Perhaps you've been prone to anger if you don't get your way, like the scribes. Or if you're feeling you're losing your grip of control. Perhaps, perhaps you feel you're losing your grip of control in your marriage. Perhaps at work, perhaps with friends, and it, and it moves you to react in bad ways. Perhaps you can't achieve what you thought you would. Maybe you don't get the respect you deserve, and it leaves you lost, rudderless, with no anchor to hold on to. Perhaps you've just felt, yeah, I've been insecure. I've been, I've been finding myself lacking in security. And Jesus today just wants to remind us, your security comes from putting your faith and trust in me. You've got to let go of the things that you've been saying. If I don't have that, I don't know who I am. Because I'm the one who gives everything for you. I'm the one who stands you up on your feet. I'm the one who died so that you could have strength. I'm the one that you might say, I've got nothing to give, but in the name of Jesus, I've got a lot to bring. So there may be some here to just, just know, yeah, that insecurity, I need to step out of it. I need to find my security in him. Let's just pray, can we? I'm just uh, aware of time here. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done. Lord, we, we're, we're, we're sometimes aware we're, our eyes are focused on ourselves. And Jesus, we see this widow who had the strength to give out of her poverty. 
She gave everything. I think because she knew the one who would give everything. She knew the God who didn't withhold. But we want to be a people who reflect on the love that you've given us. How you've delighted to be lavish and generous with us. How you've promised to always be with us, never forsake us. That you've promised to be our provider. You've given us so much to be secure in, to find our security in. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand strong and secure in Jesus. Finding rest in you, finding peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.